0: A quick word before we jump in. This is an ongoing investigation and the opinions of the hosts and interviewees are opinions, not facts. Everyone is presumed innocent unless proven otherwise in a court of law.
1: What you're hearing is background noise. Footage taken on a cold January day in 2020 So many twists and turns had led Idaho investigators to this spot, an unassuming home next to a busy road. You can hear the cars and trucks as they whiz by as the search warrant is served. But what are police looking for? Clues. Clues to the whereabouts of two children missing since September. 17-year-old Tylee and her little brother JJ both had vanished without a trace. Normally, when children go missing, your heart feels heavy watching their desperate mother beside themselves with grief, begging the community for help. Please help me find my child. But there was nothing normal about Tylee and JJ's mother, Lori Vallow. Lori was nowhere to be found that January as investigators searched the home that belonged to her new husband, Doomsday author Chad Daybell. Law enforcement would eventually track down the newlyweds a few weeks later in Hawaii. But by that time, the question, where are your children, had turned into a battle cry across the nation. But Lori, having become what many believe the most hated woman in America, refused to answer that question. And as to what clues law enforcement had been looking for on that frigid January with inches of snow on the ground at Chad Daybell's residence, it turned grim watching the footage. A cluster of officers armed with the cache of metal detectors, shovels, and rakes. You can hear them scratching and then hacking the frozen ground. They wouldn't find out until June that they had the right idea, but were in the wrong spot of Chad Daybell's property.
0: During the search of the property, uh, investigators uh, discovered um, what appeared to be unidentified human remains.
1: Detectives are still peeling back the layers of a case that spans multiple states and potentially five murders. But at the center of this heart of darkness is Lori and Chad and their involvement in what some call a doomsday cult. It's alleged they believed they were gods with the vision to see darkness in people, loved ones even, like Lori's previous husband, who she believed had turned into a zombie.
2: He said, you're not Charles. I don't know who you are, what you did with Charles, but I can murder you now with my power.
1: The nine month long search for Tylee and JJ ended in June when their remains were discovered buried in Chad's backyard. And now it's time for justice. Who was responsible for their murders and why? I'm Carolyn Osorio with Kim Shepard, and this is the scene of the crime. Well, I know why you picked this story. (laughs) <laughs>
0: why is that? Well, let's see. Mom to it's, four, mom to five. It's got just about everything that you love between, you know, the psychological aspect of, you know, zombies and doomsday cults to the cults themselves, which you have a connection with in your past and mm-hmm. and then the children.
1: And oh, yeah, I could I could see why you felt connected with this case. Well, and part of me didn't want to do this case because I wasn't technically in a cult when I was growing up, but just that... Background of my mom getting sucked into an alternative lifestyle that I was kind of drug along with. But, you know, when they found the children, I just felt like, you know, this is something that is 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 a scene of the crime that we need to we need to pursue. And we wanted the opportunity to get out of Washington and, you know, stretch our stretch our legs a little bit. But I will say when I reached out to the Rexburg police, this is still a very active case. They're not giving interviews because obviously this case involves multiple states. There's a significant amount of body cam footage that's been released from law enforcement agencies. You know, to help get to the bottom of what happened in this extremely complicated case. But first, I wanted to give credit to Court TV. I leaned into a lot of their coverage to help piece together the case and also the stellar reporting of Nate Eaton from EastIdahoNews.com, particularly for his recent interview in May with Lori Vallow's close friend, Melanie Gibbs who would, from her perspective, give insights into Lori and Chad in this crazy story. We'll get to that later. But as we piece together this case, let's start off with a little background on the woman at the center of it all, Lori Vallow, who by 2005 had just gotten divorced for the third time. But before this divorce in 2004, she was a contestant of the pageant for Mrs. Texas. And here's a clip. They
2: have two children, ages eight and one
1: year old. She was just recently on the Wheel of Fortune and won
0: over seventeen thousand dollars. She wait wait wait, wait yeah wait. I know I know I knew you were gonna be like what what <laughs> what she won seventeen thousand on Wheel of Fortune on Wheel of Fortune it's mean, not that easy it's it's I mean it's no Jeopardy but. You, you gotta kind of know a little bit to win some money on there. So she's not a, a stupid person.
1: Yeah, and from the footage, you can see her strutting around. She's She is beautiful. She's strutting around. She's all smiles in a bikini and later in a full-length evening dress. Lori didn't win the Mrs. Texas, but uh, by 2006, she has her two kids. Tylee was one, and then she has an older son, both of them from a, a previous marriage, and she marries her fourth husband, Charles Vallow. So her whole life, Lori is known to be very involved In the Church of Jesus Christ and Latter day Saints. And by many accounts, Charles Vallow was a great husband and a provider. He worked as a financial planner. He even converts to Lori's religion, LDS. And In 2014, Charles and Lori adopt JJ. Now, JJ is the biological grandson of Charles's sister, Kay Woodcock. And from 2014 to 2017, the Vallow family kind of moved from Hawaii and then to Arizona. And then up until this point, you know, Lori has been described as an awesome mom. But this perception of who Lori is will change drastically after she meets Chad Daybell at a religious convention. Now, Chad is a father of five with his wife, Tammy. They've been married for a really long time. Chad has deep roots in the LDS, too, and has been described as an Idaho preacher and a book publisher. He writes doomsday stories about end times and his near-death experiences that allowed him to see through what he refers to as the veil that most people can't see through. And some of the book titles that I looked on his website are Babylon, Martial Law, Chasing Paradise. So even though he was a part of the LDS, clearly this is off that beaten path big time. And at some point during her marriage to Charles Vallow, she seems to have taken a serious interest in end times. And she actually read one of Chad Daybell's books and was really into it. And so Lori and her good friend Melanie Gibb went to a conference in 2018, and that's where Lori met Chad Daybell for
2: the first time. And here is her friend describing how they met. We drove down together, and then he was selling his books and speaking, and so that's when they got to meet. So we were there for two or three days, and I think he was there for two days, and she talked to him a lot um, about his books, and so she asked a lot of questions, and she was very interested in what he thought and she was interested in what she he knew, she knew and so they just started talking about these different beliefs that generally are not something you've learned in church and so they started to kind of develop that connection right there
0: so was there a romantic connection because it seems like she's sort of infatuated with this
1: guy. Well, you basically just took the words right out of okay. Gibb's mouth, who she <laughs> explained to reporter Nate Eaton that Vallow had fell madly infatuated. These are her words, quote, with Chad because of his spiritual gifts, as he claimed to have the veil opened a little all the time and asked the Lord to close it because he saw too much. And that despite both Lori and Chad being married, Chad said it was okay to have this infatuated love because Jesus knew it was their mission to be the head of the 144,000 and that they had been married multiple times in other lives. So the two of them, right? Oh, I see. So this is a reincarnation situation. (laughs) Yes, and so that was totally like... Of of course, how it should be that there that this infatuated love yeah. was blessed because that they had yeah. So, so what's the one hundred forty four thousand? Well, one hundred forty four thousand are their prophecy that these are the people that have been chosen and that they are going to guide them during the end of days. Okay, and so Gibbs says that that Daybell thought he could tell if people were light or dark, quote unquote, using a gold pendulum,
2: calling it a trouble test. Oh my gosh. They did believe that they were the head of the 144,000. So, you know, that's scriptural. That word is scriptural, right? So, but they believed that 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 was what their assignment was. So, I guess in some sense, you could say that they were trying to find people that would fit that group individually.
1: But Chad and Lori's recruitment efforts centered on the belief that they were the chosen ones and could see beyond this veil into the future. It turned very dark, though, because I guess part of their powers were the belief that they could identify, quote-unquote, zombies, which Melanie Gibb tries to
2: explain. So the first person, as we all know, is Charles, was considered one. And that was brought to Lori's attention by Chad on the phone, phone call. I was in her house when that phone call came in and he um, described to her that Charles was no longer Charles, that this unclean spirit that was friends with Charles on the earth, you know, when they used to be friends, had now passed on, and now he is this unclean spirit on the earth roaming around, and now he's attached himself to Charles, and now he has entered his body and taken over it, so he's not really Charles anymore. He's now this guy named Ned Snyder, and she seemed blown out by it. You know, she was, she, I could tell she was like, that is really different. And she told me and I thought, that is very unusual. It was just, you know, because Chad had this, this influence on people because he had visionary experience. You know, he could see things. At least he said, you know, he portrays that he did. And But I, I do believe that when you think somebody can see things or have visionary experiences about things, you tend to kind of believe them more than the average person because, you know, if you asked me, I'd say, I don't see anything. So you wouldn't take my, my point of view or my opinion. But if you had somebody that was really good at having visionary, because he often no. said that it was like the veil was open when he had his near death experience. Yeah, it was tough to watch. I'm sorry no that veil was open all the time. <laughs> yeah. So he had this way of seeing things that Lori and I didn't have that, that we didn't have that gift of seeing.
1: the The sad fact is, is that they took it seriously. Right. Yes. And and they and, and apparently he made a portal for Lori in her closet where she would go and they would somehow like through the veil. It is hard for me to believe that
0: grown adults with children living a relatively successful life in
1: society can believe some of this stuff. And that's where it's it's to me. Because of my experience, it's not hard to believe. Although in this case, it's so extreme, and it's not justifying it. But people, things happen in people's lives where they're vulnerable to this. We've seen it so often in the stories that we've covered so far. You know, with the um, the coins for the ferryman, where the woman just loses her a million dollars life savings because you know she's getting her palm red. And so, so although it is triggering, people look for things. And when you have somebody who seems, and that's the thing as we go delve deeper into this story, they appeared to be, quote unquote, normal. Mm-hmm. And so they would give people attention. And I think, and even her friend says, you know, they're giving you attention and it feels good. And so you, you know, they're not going around on the side of the corner with a with a cardboard paper that's like, you know, the end times are coming. You know, these were... Seemingly normal people with normal lives. But obviously, all that begins to completely unravel. And to say that Lori and Charles's marriage had some difficulties after she met Chad Daybell would be an understatement on January 29th, 2019. Lori called Charles. Now, remember, I just have to back up here for a second and say, this guy converted to her religion, LDS. Married somebody who would already been married three times before, too. Can we just talk about that? And adopted, I think, I believe he adopted the children. Yeah, And and so he's an amazing provider, seems like a really great guy. Will do anything for her. Uh, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And so anyway, he gets this call from her. And she says, and this is according to court documents, that she was a God who'd been called to carry out the work of the 144,000 chosen at the second coming of Christ, and that if he got in the way of that mission, she would kill him. But there was more to it. She threatened to ruin him financially. So he gets this threatening phone call from his wife. And the next day, you know, he has a business, you know, he's making money for the family. So he has this scheduled business trip on January 30th to go to Texas, But true to her word, as he's out of town, Lori just messes with Charles so cruelly, and she doesn't even seem to care how it will affect JJ. So Charles wraps up his business trip the next day, and when he goes to the Texas airport for his return flight home, he finds out that his ticket has been canceled. (laughs) And in order to get back home, he has to buy a premium $600 ticket to get back to Phoenix, when he lands he finds out that his truck ha- is gone from the airport parking lot where he left it and that Lori had used her spare key to move the truck then he gets home and Lori has taken everything out of the house including his clothes and has drained their joint bank account of over thirty thousand dollars now this joint bank account was their business account that you know he has employees that he needs to pay and has payroll and she then moved it over to her their personal account and then just took the money. Then the plot thickens. She goes as the victim. She, her daughter and this friend Melanie Gibbs went to the Arizona police station to report that her husband when he returned to hit from his business trip had stolen her purse. And and this is really interesting body cam footage because she has not spoken out in public and so it gives us kind of insight we hear her for the first time and and what what she sounds like
0: so my friend told me my friend that's a police officer he said go file a report stuff. I don't want to do all that stuff I just wanted to be on the record and if you can get the purse back that would be lovely because all my mm-hmm. stuff is in there I'm really mad about my lip gloss <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> about <laughs> credit cards Well,
0: he has all the cards and all yeah but he's mad because I took the money out of our account but it's a joint account so he wants me to give him money
2: Okay, well, that's all a civil issue. No,
0: that's that's insane.
2: Purse, there's no reason why he's walking around with your purse, your ID, that he doesn't have a right to. Right, married that's or what not I'm married. Saying. All married. the
0: rest of this stuff is our joint stuff together.
1: See how she's normalizing it? I mean, she is a serious player because I mean, I know all everything that happens. But if you're just a police officer, you're sitting there. She has her 17 year old daughter Tylee with her. And what's really sad is during this interview, you can see Tylee is sitting next to her at the table. And as her mom kind of starts ramping up a little bit as she's trying to describe, you know, how she's the victim here, mm-hmm. you see her daughter reach over, lightly squeeze her arm, her mom on the arm, you know, as if anybody who, who sees that is seeing, Mom, calm down. Yeah. Mom. You know, like the roles have reversed. Mm-hmm. And she is the mother here protecting her mother basically but she's not the mother she's the daughter yeah it's a glimpse into their world because there were warning signs you can you can hear that giggle as she makes the joke about the the lipstick you know it she i mean some people might find that charming you can see the police officers are kind of like Yeah, well, and she's also very manipulative in the fact that she did
0: mention, well, I did take some money out of our joint account. And she minimizes it, Mm -hmm. but she puts it on record so that way if they see it later, they're not going to be like, well, why didn't you tell us about that? She can say, I did tell you about that. I've been up front this whole time. Mm -hmm. But it's
1: very manipulative the way that she says it. Right. And they don't know at this time, but they reach out to Charles at their home and he gives them a totally different story of and quite and earful.
2: <laughs> she lost her reality. We've been at a great marriage. All of a sudden the last month just blew up.
1: And so he gives them a very different side of what's going on in their relationship that she had actually threatened to kill him, you know, before he left.
2: I
0: will kill you because you're not Charles and nobody will care. Okay. So she she at this point doesn't think you are her husband? She takes some Nick Schneider.
1: Mixture, right? I
0: have
2: no idea okay. it's the name she used. I don't know where it came from. Okay. I just I'm just like I'm as bewildered as you are.
1: And so Charles claimed that not only had she taken all his stuff, but also JJ's stuff, including his medication, and he has autism and ADHD, so he really needs that medication. But Lori says she had a more important mission to carry out.
2: Today she said with Gabe on the phone, come take the kids. I don't care what happened.
1: I don't know if you heard that it was very faint, but he mentioned Gabe. And Gabe is, is one of Charles's friends who backed up that statement to police. His
2: wife, she had been getting into some religious things that troubled him. The relationship was a bit odd in the last few months. And it kind of all came to a head when he went out of town. Um, he he had me listen to a conversation that he had with her where she was making some strange statements. Uh, she did use the word destroy she said I will destroy you Uh, she seemed coherent but her statements were were, uh, strangely irrational he said hey I I just want to see the kids and she said something to the effect of um, well you want the kids I'll give them to you which I thought was a bit strange for mom to say
0: yeah I I can't imagine ever saying that now
1: did she ever explain why she took JJ's medication she wanted to mess with Charles in any possible way and didn't care. She cleaned out the entire house. She drained his bank account and she ended up giving JJ to Charles. But before that, Charles as law enforcement is still involved in this, he said, she said thing, you know, Charles said, hey, by the way, my wife was ordered to undergo a mental health evaluation. And so officers allowed Lori to drive herself to the hospital, where according to an interview with that friend, Melanie Gibbs, who was there, she went in there and was cleared. Hmm. And so we don't know, you know, if she went in there and just was like, yeah, I'm an LDS, but I'm not, you know, I, I bet said she said what they wanted to hear. Yeah, and I'm She's sure she probably to, did. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure she wasn't saying anything about zombies, right? So, and then for another reason, the officers in the case seemed to side with Lori. In a follow-up report, an officer writes, quote, During my conversation with Charles, I found his demeanor to be strange for a person in his circumstances. He seemed more concerned with asking questions about the legality of financial withdrawals Lori had made than her alleged incoherence. And I just was, like, thinking— What was it like for Charles to come home? You know, you've had this marriage. They've been married for like 10 years. You love your wife. Then all of a sudden these changes start happening, extreme changes, like unbelievable changes. I mean, I just I can't even fathom what that would be like. Well, I think it's bizarre, too, that the police would be surprised
0: that he was concerned about the financial matters because the police don't know her Even if he was concerned about her mental state or her actions or whatever, he's not going to talk to the police about that. That's not their purview, right? I mean, like, the thing that they can help him with is the money. So, of course, that's what he's going to be talking to them
1: about. So I guess I'm surprised by that police report. Well, and and that's why I included it in here, too, because I was, too, because, you know, he's thinking 30,000 foot view. I have payroll to make. That money wasn't just in their personal account where it's like, oh, we're not going to be able to go on vacation. You know, this money was slated for the employees that he had, and that's going to, like, cause a whole domino effect, and let alone he still hadn't found his truck and and he had, you know, no money. So anyway, in February 2019... Charles is so spooked by the changes in Lori that he does two things. One, he files for divorce. And in the court documents, he alleges that Lori threatened to kill him if he got in her way during her mission as a god to carry out the work at the 144. So he loads it all in here. I guess the second coming is in July 2020.
0: And we'll, we'll and, find out soon, and, won't we? Yeah,
1: and saying, she, Hey, <laughs> the way the world's going, please don't tempt fate. I'm going <laughs> to knock on wood. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so she said it, and, and, and I have an angel there to help her dispose of his body. I mean, I can't imagine my spouse saying that to me, and with a straight face and with vengeance. No, right? I would immediately think there was some kind of, you know, schizophrenia, something happening there. Yeah. So, and then the second thing, very significant thing that he did was change his beneficiary on his million dollar life insurance policy from Lori to his sister, Kay Woodcock. Now, Lori did not know that this had happened. And he doesn't get the $30,000 back and doesn't make payroll for his business and is also broke. But he does have J.J. and Lori kind of just like disappears for a while. And it's kind of like at a standstill because he can't find her to serve her divorce papers. So what's shocking and, and incredibly sad is that on March 1st, Charles dismissed all of the divorce proceedings. You know, he wanted to make their marriage work. I know. Maybe he was hoping that it was a medication issue, that she, if she got on some medication, she might I just think that, you know, I mean, level you, can, out. you can hear it in his voice when he's talking. At least I hear it. You know, he's, he, he's just like, we had a great marriage and then something happened. So even more devastating is that four months later, When Charles goes to pick up J.J. at her new house in Arizona, uh, Lori Vallow's brother, Alex Cox, who she was extremely close with, who, you know, by all accounts, he would do anything for her, shoots and kills Charles when he shows up at her house to pick up J.J., claiming self-defense. And here's that 911 call.
2: And is he hurt or is he alive? Yeah, there's blood. He's he's not moving. I got in a fight with my brother-in-law and I shot him in self-defense he came at me with a bat
1: so police officers roll up to the home and with guns drawn call for alex to come out and we can hear them rush to the scene with their body cam footage come out this way man
0: you know no weapons, no weapons
2: on me. all right come on out
0: this way yeah i'm gonna have you have a seat right here yeah. on the curb yep yeah. who
2: else is in the house no one else is in the house okay hey, just have
1: a seat right there yeah. let's
0: get fd in here yeah have a seat. 18, seat secure. We got the gentleman out. Uh, have a fire rolling.
1: So as Alex sits on the curb, the detective speaks with him, and you know his demeanor is is really casual because he actually just shot him multiple times and killed his his brother-in-law. Yeah, his brother-in-law.
2: What's going on? What happened? Oh, he was talking to my sister earlier. You no, know, what happened today though? Like just in the last 20 just, minutes, he came to he came at me with a bat after he'd already hit me in the head. So shot him to stop him. Okay. And then what happened? Was
1: it. So then the cop goes and talks to Lori and Tylee who are... They're there in they're, the home? Well, they, what happened was a fight started happening and apparently uh, Lori and Tylee and JJ left the home. I, I read something about how Tylee had gotten the bat and but then they left and then uh, Lori took um, JJ to school with Tylee and then they came back and by the time they came back her husband had been shot by her brother. This is Lori talking to the police officer.
2: How long have you lived here? Like three weeks. Oh, geez. Yeah, okay. That's why
1: the neighbors don't know us.
2: <laughs> gotcha.
0: <laughs> like, hi, neighbor, sorry. You're laughing? Your husband
1: was just killed by yeah. your brother. I know. It's really strange. and entirely... if I lived here for three weeks? <laughs> <laughs> hi, neighbors. I mean, it's the most bizarre cut you can hear it all over news media because it just doesn't yeah. make sense. It doesn't. And they don't know about what happened. The cult stuff and the stolen money and all that. They yeah. just know about the death right there. Right. So they're looking at the evidence that they have. And both Lori and Tylee back up the fact that Charles was acting, you know, angry and, you well, know, all that. of course he was angry. <laughs> yeah. But, but that's the thing. I don't even know, based on what I've heard and what I've read, if he even he he was a very even keeled. If you look at interviews and you listen to it and you listen to what his family said, he's not this like angry kind of guy. Like they said he didn't even raise his voice, you know. And, And so I think that alarm bells are going everywhere. But without the full picture, without them knowing, it's like. They don't know the questions to ask or, you know, Mm -hmm. what to be suspicious
0: of because they don't know all the background details.
1: Yeah. So Cox would not be charged for killing Charles. Police concluded at the time that Cox had shot Vallow in self-defense. And the same day, it's reported that uh, that Charles was killed, that Lori actually threw a pool party in that same house. Yeah. After the death? Yeah. That night. Wow. Yeah. Who does that?
0: right uh, the most hated mom in america <laughs> yeah. now i know why she has that
1: title well deserved <laughs> right okay so august 10th 2019 so that happened in july and august 10 2019 jj's grandma kay woodcock speaks with him over facetime and though she doesn't know it at the time this will be the last time she ever talks with him on september 5th Lori sent an email to JJ school in Arizona saying, quote, hi, since the circumstances in our lives have changed drastically since my husband passed away last month, I have been offered a job out of state and have had to accept it. We had to move quickly since the job started ASAP. So I'm sad to inform you that Joshua won't be returning this year. So she takes him out of school and then Lori, Tylee and JJ move to Rexburg, Idaho, where Chad and Tammy Daybell live. OK, mm. so Chad's coming back into the picture here. I mean, he was never out of the picture, but now they're going to be living in the same state. I really right? wonder what Tammy thinks of this relationship. Oh, my gosh. Her husband and this woman. Well, according to Melanie Gibb, Lori did have one reservation about moving to Idaho because Tammy hadn't died yet. as Yet? As, <laughs> as had been predicted oh my- By Chad. I can't. Lori. Well, when you kill people, yeah, you can predict when they're going to die. Well, no, it's the veil. It's not not them. It's the veil. They're seeing it through the veil. Okay, so Lori had said that Tammy was supposed to die in a car crash. So on September 8th, 2019, Tylee, who is 17, as I've said, is seen for the very last time photographed on a day trip to Yellowstone National Park with Lori, JJ, and the brother Alex. So Melanie Gibb went to visit Vallow in September in Idaho. And it was just her. She never saw Tally. And Lori told her friend that, you know, oh, Tally's in in college now. But she then said, look at JJ. He's a zombie. Oh, no. Yeah. And so Melanie was like, you know, he just seems like regular JJ. So she went and visited her for four days. And she didn't feel like... J.J. was in danger because Lori said she was going to give J.J. to his grandmother, you know, to stay to stay with them. Right. So she left there not, you know, feeling like things were strange, but not that J.J. was in danger and not that Tylee was in danger. So that September in Idaho, Lori did hire a nanny because remember, Tylee hasn't been seen and they were really close, J.J. and Tylee. And later, according to a statement the nanny would uh, make to police, when she talked about Tylee, she said that she went to school in Rexburg, but it appeared that only J.J. and Lori lived in the townhome. So J.J. was last seen on September 24th, and Lori pulled him out of school, saying she was going to homeschool him. Two days after the nanny told police that she had texted Lori, and according to the nanny, Lori said... Uh, that J.J. was with his grandparents for a month. And so that story, she's not only telling her friend, but she's also telling the nanny and that she was in Hawaii. And she said that about a month when they came back that she could work for her again. But then once that month had passed, she texted her again around Halloween time asking if she could you know, babysit J.J. And she never responded. So both of the kids are now gone. Mm-hmm. She's in Idaho. October 19th, guess who passes away? Tammy. Car accident? No. Hmm. It's ruled a natural death even though she hadn't been sick and was only 49 years old. Apparently Chad says she went to bed with a bad cough and never woke up and he refused to have an autopsy and apparently the coroner obliged. Melanie revealed how she found out that Tammy, Chad's wife and mother of their five children, had
2: died suddenly. I thought oh my gosh she died that's what they said was gonna happen I wonder what happened i didn 't know how they did it, but I knew it was part of the plan that that she was supposed to pass away. I mean, other people knew she was supposed to pass away because you know Chad knew this information for you know quite a quite a while. I knew um, that they were going to be married like as soon as she passed away. You know they expressed to me many times that Tammy would be okay with this as she passed on. She may not remember it now, but as she passed on, she had a mission to fulfill on that side, and so. They, felt, they both felt that that was where she was supposed to go. She was move on and, and fulfill her mission. So it didn't seem unusual to either one of them that you know, she passed on because that was the plan, is that they were going to be together.
1: As I said, I mean, incredibly, an autopsy wasn't performed on Tammy. But later, an Arizona detective reached out to Idaho law enforcement asking why that didn't happen.
0: The family did not want an autopsy, so they just went straight to the funeral home, and the family refused an autopsy.
2: Um then the family said they don't want an autopsy, therefore the coroner just signed off then and there
0: and then the funeral home took Ms. stable. Is that how that works? Yes,
1: that's that's
0: pretty much how it works. That does seem really odd when, when it's someone who doesn't have any known health history, is relatively young, that they wouldn't want to determine the cause of death. I mean I, I realize they said natural causes, but that's that's not really determining
1: the cause. You need to do an autopsy to do that. Well, yeah. And especially since Chad received at least four hundred and thirty thousand dollars in life insurance and was just starting to describe Lori to his family as being an empty nester and not having any juvenile children. Two weeks later, Vallo marries Daybell in Hawaii, two weeks after mm-hmm. his wife has, quote unquote, died of natural causes it's just, well, he knew it was going to happen, so that's probably why he started planning early, right. And it's not it's not <laughs> really fair to judge per se, the law enforcement here because it's like this is happening in so many different states. They're not. You know, Chad Daybell is like this LDS guy. He's very mild mannered. He's very like, I mean, I have listened to so many interviews and and the friends have described him as being very humble, very soft spoken, you know, out of the two of them. Lori is the one that's going to be the life of the party and like, hey, you know, and he's very reserved and just like I'm not using that as an excuse, but I'm saying whatever whatever he was message he was putting out there was that they were not suspicious of it. I, I don't get it, but... Well, he probably was smart enough to know who
0: to say these things to and who not to. Yeah. You know, he probably wasn't telling the cops about his doomsday prophecies and his visions and the veil and all that, and zombies. I'm sure he didn't mention any of that uh, yeah. to police.
1: Yeah, of course. And so... <laughs> This is where Kay Woodcock, who is the sister to Charles, as I've said, the one who he made the beneficiary of his will and who are J.J.'s uh, biological grandparents. At this point, they're like they haven't seen him in a couple of months. So they're just like, hey, what's going on? And so they called police around Thanksgiving and they're asking them to do a wellness check on Tylee and J.J. after they report that they haven't heard from him. And so court documents reveal that during that wellness check on November 26th. Now, remember, Lori's in Idaho. And um, they go to her condo. Lori wasn't there, but her brother, Alex, and Chad Daybell were there. And Alex told police that JJ was with his grandparents, the ones who filed the missing persons report. At the time, Chad, even though he was at Lori's condo, downplayed their relationship, even though they were already married. Chad tried to leave the welfare check, but cops weren't having it, and he eventually relented and gave them her phone number, and police called her, and Lori said JJ then was with a friend of hers, Melanie Gibb, the one that we've been hearing from in Arizona, and police say that Lori and Chad then contacted Melanie and asked her to lie to police and say that JJ was with her. She refused to do that. Finally. I've, um, yeah, I've, been, I I've been having
0: some doubts about this Melanie person. I know. going to
1: be honest. She's yeah. gone along with this
0: way too long. Yeah, yeah. The fact that she would, drove up or flew up or whatever to Idaho for a visit after all of this had happened, after Charles had been killed by his brother-in-law,
1: I mean, she's still hanging out with this most hated mom in America? Well, and saying that that, hey, look at JJ. Doesn't he look like a zombie? I mean, I would be... And she had met the extended family. She could have reached out to people and said, hey, I'm really worried. Or Lori's adult son, who is completely innocent in all of this and was like, hey, you know, where are my siblings? I haven't seen them either. And so on November 27th, the day after they went to do the wellness check, the Rexburg Police Department returns to Vallow's condo with a search warrant. But she and Daybell are already gone. Now, what happened to the property that he had? Cause he has property
0: in Idaho, right? Yeah, he has property, and he has five kids. And so, why are they not living there? Why does she have an
1: apartment? She moved. Well, remember when she first moved there? Tammy hadn't been hadn't died yet. Uh right. Okay, so, so she so, just hadn't
0: yet moved into her new home. Right.
1: Exactly. <laughs> and so Tam. So now, though, Arizona police, Rexpert, you know, they're kind of putting these pieces together. Tammy Daybell's body is exhumed, and her death is ruled suspicious. We are still awaiting the results of that autopsy. Another weird thing is that on December 12th, Alex Cox, the brother... Who shot Charles. Who shot Charles, quote unquote, in self-defense, is found dead what? in Arizona. Okay, I did not see that one coming. No, I know, I know. Because wasn't he with his sister in Idaho? Yeah, he actually lived in the complex, the same complex that she did. They moved up there together. That sounds like a sick relationship. Yeah, but... definitely. Yeah, so they so they have his cause of death is eventually ruled a blood clot. December 20th, 2019, the Rexford Police Department announced a formal search for J.J. and Tylee, which they tie to Tammy Daybell's suspicious death. Police say in a press release that Vallo and Daybell are not cooperating. And um, they officially rule that, that the two are persons of interest in J.J. and Tylee's disappearance. And on the 30th, Idaho police say they believe J.J. and Tylee's lives are in danger and the kids are not with them. And so then we come back to the in January, they they executed that search warrant at Chad Daybell's property. And some of his kids were living in the home. I think that they were adult children. Forty three items are removed, including computers, cell phones, journals, documents and medications. They start digging in the ground, but they don't find anything. And then in uh, January 7th, Larry and Kay Woodcock, JJ's grandparents, offer a twenty thousand dollar reward for his entirely safe return. And at around this time, January 25th, the two, the newlyweds, are found in Hawaii uh, where she once lived with her family. And this is where they're like, you need to produce the kids. Yeah, we're done asking nicely. We're done asking nicely. You know, produce them or we're going to arrest you, basically. She doesn't produce the kids. And on March 5th, she's extradited back to Idaho. So she's been in jail since March 5th. Then suddenly... On June 9th, nothing's happened to Chad. You know, he's still out and about and saying no comment and, you know, we're they weren't innocent. were his kids that were missing, so. Right, right. So police execute a search warrant on June 9th. They go back to his place very specifically, right? And they find two sets of human remains and he's arrested And charged with two counts of destruction alteration or concealment of evidence now how did they know where to look when they went back the second time well that's that's the sixty thousand dollar question because when they went it all went down very quickly they basically were there at seven o'clock in the morning a couple hours later they arrested him and by afternoon they had found the remains so and it was very specific it was over by the fire pit and you could see aerial footage of it where it's like they knew where to go and it was a it was a long, you know, you have to be so careful about how you, once you find the remains to make sure you sift through them because everything is evidence, you mm-hmm. know, everything to make your case. Now, I wonder if they had cadaver dogs that perhaps couldn't sniff out when there was snow on the ground, but were able to find it once that snow was gone. They did. They, to my knowledge, they did have cadaver dogs that helped. But this is like, I think it's like a four acre property. And so I think they must have had specific, and this is a pure speculation on my part, they must have had specific information on exactly where to go Mm -hmm. and to go back there again, right? And also that the bodies weren't, I don't believe they were buried very deeply because they found it, you know, they, they were able to find them so quickly, So Daybell appears in court. His bail is set at a million dollars. He doesn't say much, but it's really the first time I've ever really heard his voice during this process of, of looking into this case.
2: Mr. Daybell, do you understand the allegations on both counts that have been brought against you? I do. Mr. Daybell, do you also understand the maximum penalties on each of those counts? Yes. Mr. Daybell, do you understand that those maximum penalties could run consecutively, one after the other, or they could run concurrently? Do you understand that? Yes.
1: So a candlelit vigil was recently held, and a memorial continues to grow at Chad Daybell's residence. Kay and Larry Woodcock went to the site and spoke to reporters this
2: has torn up so many people it's destroyed people it's torn up whole homes and there's no need for this I- I'm not coming in hostility in any way I-, I come with trying to be the peacemaker and that's all I want I just want to be a peacemaker I want let's all get along here and I know it's an old cliche but it's, it's so true. This is not about hatred. This is about mending fences. And that's all I want to do. I'm not worried about the, 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 the people that are responsible for this. The judicial system will take care of that.
0: How I, I know I'm blown away by him wanting to mend fences. I'm sorry. Your grandchildren were just found murdered. And you're like, let's mend
1: fences. That is bizarre. I, you know, on one on the one hand, I think it it takes and we you and I have talked about this. I, we're just not the type of people that would be. I think we, I could I can safely say that we're <laughs> I would not, not be like that. Of, yeah, so yeah. Like, I mean, forgiveness in this in this way would be impossible. But even if you're somebody who, who would ultimately forgive is way too fresh. I think that they've they've known for a really long time because well, they've been missing true. since September yeah. and I'm sure they just are like okay, we know now. We know now because like not knowing and just thinking what could where could these kids be? What has happened to them? What should like, I be doing to try to find yeah, them? Yeah, I mean that's yeah. got to be just absolutely Just horrible, Mm -hmm. you know, living in that constant state of like, imagine going to sleep at night and that track is just running of all the different possibilities, all the scenarios, the mom won't, you know, you have this person and even Kay Woodcock in in an interview had said, you know, she just loved Lori for so long that she just thought, you know, she was the bee's knees. And then this something horrible changed. And this is in no way to like in any way stick up for this you know she deserves the title of the world's worst hated most hated you know cult mom or whatever but something broke and it's it's almost it's so hard to wrap your head around it it seems like a mental illness situation to me but see that's the thing i don't agree with that because and i obviously feel very passionately about it but because they knew where to conceal it when she was having her mental health evaluation she knew what to say to walk out that door when when the autopsy was not going to be performed, you know, Chad, you know, wasn't I can uh, for sure probably, you know, say that he was not talking about end of times and I'm God and I can see through the veil and zombies. But and you visions. know what?
0: When people are schizophrenic, they realize that maybe not everybody sees what they see. And so maybe they were concealing these things about end end of days and the veils and whatnot, not because they didn't want people to know they were crazy, but because they didn't think other people would believe them because the other people couldn't see it. So, of course, I'm not going to tell them they're going to think I'm crazy. I'm not crazy. I know mm-hmm. what I'm seeing. So I, there could be an element an element there of mental illness, and they would still be concealing those things. There could I, be I, a, a meeting there in the middle of. They're both mentally ill and evil. It can be both.
1: I I absolutely believe <laughs> that it can be both and delusional. But if they thought the world was coming to an end, it seems like they were really planning for their future, not for the world to be destroyed. You know, they well because they were going to leave the hundred lead the hundred and forty four thousand, so they were going to be the few remaining survivors. I don't know. It feels like they were wrapping up, you know, they you know, they could have just gotten divorced from these people. They could have been together and just been like, OK, well, we're going to go lead our 144,000 people. But it was darker than that. They had to get rid of these people. I yeah. feel like they wanted their insurance policies. And then they just, you know, why she didn't just give JJ and Tylee, who's 17. She was you know? practically out of the nest and but gone. But see, Tylee was there when the murder happened of Charles, as was Alex. So it's like, you know, they were tying up loose ends. I mean, there's 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 so much more to come. As well, I case.
0: think that in this case, we're going to find out a lot more, obviously. I mean, this is, is, this is a really fresh case, which we haven't really done before, where, you know, we still have trials, court trials to get through. And I mean, there's I'm sure a lot more that's going to come out. I can't even imagine. Well, I mean, what and, else could and, there be? And, but... there's, and there's stuff
1: that I didn't even include with her with her niece in here that it was just like, oh, my gosh, it gets crazier and crazier and crazier and crazier the more you dig. And so there's so much more to come. But we, what we know for sure is that there's so much we don't know. And you know they're going to go through it. And, you know, who knows what what else will, will come out of the woodwork. Right? And I think
0: the moral of this story is, you know, somebody starts acting strange talking about end of days. You never know when it could be more than just talk, like say something to somebody. I mean, I'm just I just keep coming back to the friend and how she just hung out and went along with all this. And she sounds like a relatively level headed person. But to go along with all this for as long as she did, I almost wonder if there isn't some kind of criminal culpability for her. Well, I think
1: she was worried about that in the interview. You know, she was saying like, you know, the reporter was like, hey, I've been trying to get a hold of you. And she's like, well, I haven't been, you know, because it's like. She could have said something. Mm
0: -hmm. You know, I'm not
1: blaming this on her. I Who knows who's, you know, it's not for us to determine who's guilty and who's not. But when you listen to it, it seems like there were warning signs. But this actually reminds me of the Susan Smith case. Remember that case where she strapped her kids into the yeah. into the car and then because she wanted to be with that guy who didn't want to have any children
0: yeah but that was more of a i almost feel like that was more of like a spur of the moment type thing i mean it wasn't exactly spur of the moment but this seems like it was so well planned and so far in advance yeah i don't know
1: i don't know it seems both well planned but then also the confidence that these guys had if she did have her brother kill her husband and know that she can just be like, oh, my lipstick, the neighbors, ha, ha, and that that was going to work. It's it's just floors me. But she's probably gotten away with something
0: similar in the past. You know, you get away with little things and it just... You've said that before. It's true. When you start getting away with little things, you you push it, you get away with bigger and bigger and bigger stuff.
1: See, my head doesn't work like that. Like I just think I don't want to make this worse. Like, I don't like where that's going in that direction. Just because you can get away with something doesn't mean that you should. Yeah, but some people get a thrill out of it. <laughs> Look at you. You're like, yeah, it's true. Th- I'm not one of those people, obviously, who, who right. gets that thrill. But I
0: think for most people, they grow out of it.
1: You <laughs> yeah. know, and I yeah. just think that in this case,
0: she never did. Yeah. So what what's up for next week? We're gonna head to a little cottage in Olala, Washington. It's a place that's been dubbed the most murderous house in Washington history. Dozens of people died there. But the big question is, did all of those victims go there willingly? We'll talk
1: about it next week. I'm Carolyn Osorio with Kim Shepard, and this is the Scene of the Crime.